This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. Fabi. Hey, Leo. What is happening? Oh, so much. You remember our our fun times today with trying to schedule our PCR test to get back into uh, the country thanks to uh, the CDC. (laughs) I do. It was a little stressful, wasn't it? It was very stressful. And uh, we're... Do you want to give people? Cried. Do you want to give people a little bit of a uh, a background on what we were experiencing? Well, so we got this news that now to to get on board of our flight, we gotta have this test um, seventy two hours before the trip. So we gotta spend some money. Which is which is what maybe like per test we're thinking around. Uh, so it's around a hundred dollars. A little over maybe $100 per test to do it. And I kept asking them the different labs information. Okay, what is what is the brand of the test? You know, how many cycles in the test? Nobody knew anything. Does it hurt? Do I have to s- subject my three-year-old to getting something stuck up her nose? and Touching her brain. <laughs> yeah, it, it I, I'm not even gonna laugh on that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, well, and, and this comes back to the same thing that we've talked about over and over again, which is I think what what is so difficult uh, for the uh, uh, for us to get our wrap our heads around is we know how bad the test is. You know, fr- from a reliability standpoint, and to have to subject your children. I mean, let alone it's bad enough for yourself, but to subject your children to have to have uh, a stick jammed way back in their nasal cavity, scraping the top. I mean, again, we talked to the guy on the phone. He said that uh, the um, he said that the it's oh, no, it's no big deal. It's very gentle. No big deal. But it's not going to be bad. But But every person that's done it says it hurts. (laughs) Well, I remember early on, I had a buddy on Facebook and he he was like, he'd went through and did a drive through. And he said that, um, you know, it it really was quite painful, you know, and 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 uh, he still could kind of feel it inside of his head. I mean, as far as where they they rubbed it by. And so I have that image in my head. And again, maybe it's gotten better. I can only hope. Right. But yes. but it, it's a little bit scary to think that we've got to maybe subject our kids and they're not excited about it. They're not excited about it, but probably because we also don't have the best attitude about it. Either. Well, I'm sure that probably doesn't <laughs> help. They, they, they hear all the gory details. So so uh, that may not be uh, as advantageous for them. But we try not to sugarcoat things. But we also try not to scare the crap out of them either. <laughs> yeah, I think they're scared. Well, so that is kind of our day as as far as what we encountered today. But, yes. but we've been kind of compiling stuff for this episode. We wanted to get this out. We're going out of town here uh, coming up over the weekend for a, for a long four-day getaway. And we really wanted to 
put some of the stuff together uh, that we've been collecting. And uh, uh, this is where, what we're doing. And it's, it's COVID-related. I do have something at the end, if there's time, that I wanted to throw in that is not COVID-related. And uh, what, what are you saying? I'm too loud? No, I'm saying I can't really hear you as clearly. You can't hear me as clearly. So if yeah. I turn your mic up, yeah, that's that's better. better. Okay, yeah, that's uh-huh. just your your oh, headset. Okay, okay. 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 I just want to make sure the peeps the recording can hear you. Oh yeah, I don't think there's any problem with them <laughs> hearing me. I've, I've got the loudest voice uh, two blocks probably. Um, so there was one clip that really got us talking this week, and that yes. was uh, Tony Robbins. Okay. We love Tony. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Tony. I mean, I'm not gonna say we've been to any of his stuff, but we but wanted to. We wanted to, yeah. But but uh, uh, he's definitely great at motivating people. If you don't know who he is, he's probably one of the world's most uh, uh, well-known motivational speakers. Um, so let's play the clip now. This, um, I believe, I don't have all the data around it, but I believe it was taken from one of his. Um, uh, uh, conferences that instead of doing in person, he's doing it uh, over the internet now via Zoom or, or whatever he's using. And he's speaking about COVID in this clip. So let's go ahead and take a listen. This report, they took it down after one day, but two weeks ago they came out here in America. They took it down, but if you go on the Wayback Machine, you know, you can go back on your computer and go back in time on the web. So people have already published it again and again. And what it shows is the same number of people have died this year, 2020, has died in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, and 2015. 2.8 million people. It's within 10 to 15,000 people every year. The same number of old people died in 2020. The only difference is when they looked by disease. Heart disease, for the first time in 30 years, has come down. Cancer has come down. But COVID has gone up in the exact proportions. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Same number of people die. By the way, in case you haven't noticed, the flu has disappeared. It's flatlined. What are the symptoms of the flu? And by the way, flu kills people, and especially kills older people. So we're living in a world where a lot of people might be overreacting because they're trying to protect us because they thought at a 3% mortality rate or 4%, that would be a pandemic. But today, figure out whose research you read, it's 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, which is the same as the flu. And if you're under 50, it's way below that. So we live in a world that if we let people control our focus, we're just going to live in fear and do nothing. And we're going to be people that manage our circumstances. So that was Tony Robbins. Yes. And uh, he's referring, now we, we didn't cut over to the clip fast enough, but he's recur- re- uh, referring to a Johns Hopkins study d- done by, I think, uh, you have the, the data on that? I do have the data, but first you want to explain, maybe some of our listeners don't know what the Wayback Machine is. Okay, the Wayback Machine. <laughs> yeah, you know, Fabi and I are, are in, we, we work in uh, technology and the internet, and there is a website resource where... Uh, essentially, every day they cache a copy of the most relevant data on the internet. I'm not sure if they're doing every single website or if they're doing uh, a subset. I'm not exactly sure on that, but certainly the Mayo Clinic would be in uh, something they would consider as a uh, 
uh, a Highline website. And, and uh, so you can actually go to their website and you can pick a day out in the past and anything that was published on that website on that particular day will be accessible. So where that comes in handy is that if something gets pulled down, then you can, but you're like saying, well, I remember it was there. Uh, I remember it was early December and I was there on the website and I read this article, but it's not showing up anymore. You could go back and say, okay, I want to see the website from December 1st. And then you might be able to find that. And that's essentially what's happened here. They do, they pulled this article down because they felt like it was, um, uh, adding dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I know there's some stuff about that. Do you have kind of a summary around yeah, that? Yeah, so the article was called "A Closer Look at U.S. Deaths Due to COVID-19," and it was um, it was a talk. I think I lecture by let's see, Gen- Genevieve Brand. Mm-hmm. She's an assistant program director of the Applied Economics Master's d- Degree Program at Johns Hopkins. And she critically analyzed the effects of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths. And she used data from uh, the CDC in her, her webinar. It was a webinar titled COVID-19 Deaths, A Look at U.S. Data. So we can talk about that or we can talk about the fear factor. <laughs> well, I, before we dump into the fear factor, because we could go a while on that, I, I do think that is an important um, uh, summary or article mm-hmm. to read. Yeah. Uh, I shot that over to my mother. She thought that was interesting. Uh, and uh, we're going to have the link to that. And so what that is linking to is the Wayback Machine version of that. There is a placeholder page uh, on Johns Hopkins website where this uh, article was mm-hmm. before, but essentially they say, okay, we're not going to have it published anymore. However, if you click this link, you can download the previous article as a PDF. So, I mean, it's really intriguing. It, it's like we're still putting the data forward, but we don't want to just serve it on the site like a billboard. You have to download it and open it as a file, which is just beyond me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't get it because at all. Because I think people use that today. I mean, fact checkers maybe or, um, you know, the fighters of um, conspiracy theories. Right. You know, oh, they pulled the article down. It must not be true. Uh, but she actually went ahead and... Um, looked at the CDC data overall, she graphed it all, and she noted that 50,000 to 70,000 deaths um, were seen both before and after COVID-19, indicating that this number of deaths was normal long before COVID-19 emerged. Um, So according to her, not only has COVID-19 had no effect on the percentage of deaths of older people, but it has also not increased the total numbers of death. Isn't that crazy? Well, and I think if if it's still kind of foreign what we're talking about here, uh, just to give you an idea to kind of layer in what Tony was saying is that we had the same amount of people die in 2020 as we did in the several years before. I think he said that, you know, it's give or take 10,000 or so people. So I have the numbers too, if you need. Uh, well, you know, we, we could go into that, but, but, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, though, if we're looking at this and saying, okay, look, we're changing the fabric of society 
Okay, uh, we we can't see people's faces. You and I were just at the the kids' camp, and we were talking about this uh, lady that works at the camp. And then the the kids were in the pool. the The lady wasn't wearing a mask in the pool, and we were right. like, "Who is that woman? I don't even know who she yes. is. Was she with the camp?" And then we're like <laughs> talking to her, like. Oh, yeah, you know me. You meet me every day. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's you? Yes, because we only saw, what, a third of her face. Well, and she it, takes the mask down. We're like, oh, who's that? And we both didn't expect the rest of her face to look like that. Yeah, we thought yeah, she would look that was really <laughs> weird. That was really weird. But so, so the data that she... Uh, Looked up uh, based on the CDC website suggests that in contrast to most people's assumptions, and, and this is a shocker, guys, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. In fact, it has re- relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. So she looked at heart disease data, cancer, uh, chronic respiratory uh, disease, cerebrovascular issues, Alzheimer's, diabetes, flu, and pneumonia. Those is all causes of death, right? Uh, nephritis, other respiratory issues, uh, septicemia, and not classified. And uh, we're going to share the link, but this graph she's got. So um, when she compiled the numbers that were down and added them all up, and then she put... COVID, uh, heart disease, like the numbers are so close. So, so the total decrease for those um, uh, death cause causes of death I just shared was 530, let's say in a month in 2020, which was April. Okay, 530, uh, dec- a decrease, 530. And the COVID deaths were 486. So, so close. Then again, a few days later, she looked again at the data. So, the total decrease was down to 2,540. Guess how many deaths from COVID? 2,600. Were 2,561. <laughs> <laughs> and she did that, you know, she graphed it all up in the in the graph. I mean, if we could just show you the graph, I mean. Well, we'll have a link to it. Yeah, it will blow you away. Well, it, it would just blow you away. And uh so so I mean, what I was trying to to uh to get to though is that and I I've had this conversation not on this specific article, but but if we normally have 2.8 million people die in a year of a plethora of things, right? Um and not to say we're all okay with that, but we go on with our life. You know what I mean? We, 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 mm-hmm. we say, hey, you know, some people live, some people die. We understand that, okay? Some of it, uh, it, people live a long life. Some of it, it seems unfair. They didn't get to live long enough. So here, we've again, we've changed the fabric of society, how people are going to travel, how they're going to uh, interact with one another, you know, how many people we can have in a space together, how we work, you know, are we visiting people in person or do we do everything online, uh, the way children are schooled. I mean, everything is changing and the deaths are the same. So if, if we already know that there are 777 ways that people typically die in a year, and COVID is one of those, okay, and the death number is the same, then why are we changing the fabric of society? I, I mean, does that make any sense? I mean, it's not like the COVID deaths are in addition right. to the other deaths. In They're fa- replacing. In fact, what Tony says in that clip is that that it's funny, these other things that have flatlined or dropped off completely since COVID came on the scene, 
COVID has essentially made up for those exact losses and deaths for these other classifications. So, I mean, I mean, and for several years, right? They so this we've been counting deaths for a long time, and for several years, if you look at the total number of deaths. They are very similar from year to year. The 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 medium, you know, of deaths it's very very close. Well, and and so then when we we dovetail to the topic of uh, really what Tony was getting at toward the end, it, it wasn't really the important part of what he was saying there. But at the end, he's saying, you know, if we're going to let something like this take us off of our focus, mm-hmm. you know, then we are giving away our power. Yeah. And and another way to call giving away your power in a lot of ways is living in fear. Yes. Okay. So so I know you kind of did a little bit of research. So so can we talk about that next subject? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you guys knew, but fear actually can be an addiction. Like people can be addicted to fear because it messes with our brain chemistry so I ran across an article from Dr. Donna Marks and she is a licensed psychotherapist Um, she's an instructor of A Course in Miracles Uh, she's an addiction counselor Uh, she's been practicing for more than 30 years she has written books Uh, she's a public speaker and educator and this is what she had to say in the article so with lockdowns and everything that's going on, with um, the increased um, isolation and nonstop crisis-filled news cycles of every day, and we experienced this here in Brazil, man, it's 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 rough. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of our population is living a self-imposed fear frenzy, despite the suffering and long-term negative consequences. Uh, boredom has set in. And the need to fill the void intensifies. And what are we all feeling, uh, filling that void with is um, fear creates this chemical release in the body that masks this void. So it's the root, actually, of most addictions. I didn't know fear was the root of most addictions. But she says, you know, staying glued to bed instead of good news, which every day if you turn on the television, even if you pick up your phone and you have you know those alerts for cnn or whatever um she says you know hurting to the grocery store you see everybody mask how depressing uh or maybe it's just depressing for me i don't know (laughs) and obsessing about contradicting the illness contracting the not contradicting (laughs) contracting the illness um are several ways (coughs) people exacerbate their addiction to fear so the higher the anxiety, the greater the need to self-medicate with alcohol, drugs, smoking, bad food, online gambling, porn. You know, and we know uh, consumption of alcohol is way up. Suicides are way up. I mean, there's all kinds of bad habits. Vices, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you check if the liquor stores are still open? They, they are still open, they are? in fact. Okay. Yeah, they're doing quite well. Yeah, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> So that is that is the uh, the catcher there, the fear. Well, I mean, I think we have to look at that and say, are we 
getting, you know, marketed into this and when we do this for a little bit, and I'm not saying that everybody's is, is scared. I, I'm saying you've got these different camps, but I think there are there is a large percentage of the population, especially as you get up in the age groups that are living in that fear. Um, well, you know, some people are scared of the disease. Other people are scared of the way our, our world is changing so rapidly and what it's going to be like for our children. I mean, this year has had massive changes already, and we don't know how that's going to impact our children, you know, with schooling, with the way they interact with people. Now they have to be separated from their friends. Uh, adults are wearing the mask, so you can re- really read facial expressions. You can really hear people. Yeah. Right? So I, this is what <laughs> this is what the fear is for me, you know. W- what is it going to look like when they are... Yeah, Either. yeah. When you look at it as a as a uh, entire world population, I think uh, fear is doing very well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be- because it is, and it's always it always has been. It always has been, but I it's. Guess. I think it's especially a growth industry right now. You know, because you have all these different fear camps, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a different fear camp than yeah. other people. I mean, we are. We we do. I think our best to get out of that fear camp very often, be- and, and you know that's then- why we getaways to uh islands or nobody goes right to. right right we try to get <laughs> go away. to the forest we, we are not social distancing <laughs> because we want to we're social distancing just to get away from all the other people <laughs> that are talking all this stuff that they you know haven't done any research around so um you know it, it, it is an interesting paradigm and 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 uh you know i think that we've got to assess are we living in that state of fear or are we you know really trying to find our focus and go after what we want Mm -hmm. you know and again i recommend tony robbins (laughs) yes and if we are in that state of fear um let's explore how is it serving us right you know, let's look down the road. I mean, what are the risks, really? I think that if people really believe this was as deadly as we've been told, people would just be stuck in their houses. It would be like those those apocalyptic movies. Well, and isn't it interesting, yeah. you know, because you have people, you know, I was just talking with um, our friend from uh, Colorado, you know, and, and, and uh, they were talking about... Uh, uh, couple that uh, uh, they hang out with and and uh the person wore a mask i think even at their home uh for a for a dinner get together and then you know even when they were outside was wearing the mask and then i think at uh, least they were being consistent (laughs) yeah yeah well uh well no actually i think they said once they got to like the top of a hill then they took it off and then i think something like our friend asked them you know hey so what's what's up with the mask and and they just got uh, really defensive and just said, "Hey, I, we won't even talk about this. It's our, it's our uh, family, our choice." Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and we agree with that. We yeah. totally agree with that. But, but I they mean, said only the people that want to wear the mask have the choice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but but I also think it's interesting. It's like again, I don't know the trauma that that person, um, you know, went through that is in this place where they even know that their friend is somebody that's been through stuff too and they can't even crack it open Mm -hmm. and take a look at it. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, that's wild to me. You know, what kind of friendship is that? It can be exhausting too, right? You feel like you have to defend your position all the time. 
But I do feel like the other side gets. They have some perks. They have some <laughs> perks. They can go to grocery stores and, and malls. <laughs> oh, and speaking of that, masks, you know, there was a study, I think it, it was published recently by uh, New York University on the mask and how it's changing the flora. You know, we talk a lot about the microbiome mm-hmm. in this podcast. And when the microbiome is out of balance, you have a, a higher propensity to disease to set in because then there's an imbalance, right? And so when we are wearing the mask for long periods of times and we're not able to expel, you know, first of all, breathing oxygen, um, fresh air and the microbiome around us, but we're also not able to expel things that should be expelled when we exhale or when we cough, when we sneeze, what have you. So the study is actually linking um, uh, wearing masks to uh, lung cancer Mm. and um, higher incidences of gingivitis and just uh, tooth decay. Decay? Was it uh, decay? decay? Was it wasn't it the staph infections too or something? Uh, like I think it's a gum disease. Okay. You know, I don't know about staph infections, but um, we can talk about that a little more in depth in uh, a next episode for sure. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, so where are you taking us next then on this uh, train? Oh my gosh, we gotta talk about the vaccine. Oh, okay. Again. So. <laughs> Uh, were we leading because off? Because, of course, that's what we hear all day long, everywhere. But we have actually gotten some new perspective and some new information that blew me away a little bit, you know. I just can't believe after everything that's going on, things just don't, like, just totally blow my mind. Well, and, and I think that that is uh, the... I think that is the greatest thing about this whole piece because you you and I really do like learning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now we learn in different ways. We do, and we learn from different sources. Uh-huh. But a lot of times those sources merge. come together, they merge, mm-hmm. they intersect. Yeah. And 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 it's fun to see when they do, right? Yes. We'll be like, hey, I I know that guy was on a podcast that I you know that yes. I listened to. Yes. Uh, because we don't listen to the same stuff right it, it's it's very different but then when it merges it, it it's kind of a cool uh conjunction but um you know we were talking to another friend of ours on marco polo just earlier today and it was on a completely unrelated subject mm-hmm. but you know they were asking you know i just don't know you know do you believe this and i'm just don't i haven't seen any information at all that that um you know really backs up that claim and i i just don't understand why you, yeah, you feel that way like that. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 i'm thinking as i'm listening to that person say that i'm 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 thinking man uh i have consumed so much information <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'm like if i could just flick stuff off my shoulder that you could consume then you'd at least say oh okay well that's interesting i definitely want to know more mm-hmm. you know and and or not some of the stuff is <laughs> but so many people are not in that uh space they don't want and that's really you know like you look at our lead in it, it's why does the common collective resist mm-hmm. uh new information yeah you know so so uh this first clip that we wanted are we starting with the clip with um yes the male clinic clip so let's oh yeah yeah let's listen so this is interesting just kind of give you an idea this is the mayo clinic mm-hmm. and it's dr andrew uh, 
Badly? Is badly. That badly. Ooh, what a name. Uh, he's a, uh, an MD. Uh, he's the COVID-19 Research Task Force Chair at the Mayo Clinic. So right. let's listen to you. Let's see what he has Andrew. to say here. What we know the vaccine does is it prevents symptomatic disease. What we don't know if it does or not is to prevent infection. And if you are infected, but you don't get sick because of the vaccine, you can still replicate the virus and transmit the virus. Currently, our recommendations are that if you've received the vaccine, you still wear a mask, maintain social distancing, frequent hand washing, and avoid gathering in large social circumstances. All right, so... Woohoo! How exciting! Again, we mentioned this before, and <laughs> yes. we just wanted to reiterate because I think a lot of people may not still get it that the vaccine's really not changing your situation at all. Okay, you're 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 still transmissible. You're still uh, 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 able to contract the disease, and you still have to wear the mask. You still have to avoid uh, large gatherings. Uh, really, the same exact thing that people who don't get the vaccine have to do, you still have to do. So, and this is for a disease that you have a 99, most people have a 99.97% chance of, of, of surviving yes. if you even contract it. Mm-hmm. You know, you may never According contract According to the CDC. It. So, but we just wanted you guys to hear, not just from us. Don't take our yeah. word for it. We wanted you to hear from the Mayo uh, Clinic, Doctor Bradley. Yeah, and you, you badly, and, and you can Bradley. go. That, that's off of their Instagram page. That's mm-hmm. uh, from I think a week ago or so. And so, we'll share a link. Share a link to that. All right. So, so. Uh, but speaking of the vaccine, this is what I came across. Um, I think this past week that was. Um, I mean, I don't know how this stuff still surprises me, but we had, I was listening to the Wise Traditions podcast and uh, Dr. David Martin was on this episode and it's talking, the episode is called It's Gene Therapy, Not a Vaccine. So I found that title very puzzling. So I wanted to play a clip of David Martin just to give you now, who is David? his bio. He's a businessman, professor, author, storyteller, inventor, global for, um, foresight advisor, father, father, friend, and creator of the AmCam CNBC IQ 100 index. And his company is really cool. They look at patents and they use like AI and mm-hmm. machine learning yes. to, to do some assessments. Yes, but their um, how do you call that? Their mission is they well they spe- specialize in putting humanity back into humans and uh, and businesses because we talk with technology a lot about okay humans are going to be obsolete and stuff. Where David has done some um, studying on this and found that actually you can replicate the humanity and the creativity of the human being. Oh, I like that. So so we just hit the, yes. the, the clip up here? Let's, Let's see. do it. If I said everybody needs to take chemotherapy for the cancer they might get, okay? Yeah. That's exactly what is happening. We are being told to take a treatment. This is not a prophylactic. This is not helping us. We are being told to take a treatment for a disease we don't have and most likely will not have. And we're being told that 
using the careful marketing manipulation and propaganda, calling these things vaccines for public health. mRNA is a gene therapy. It's not a vaccination. It's a gene therapy that was originally developed for cancer treatment. That's why I'm using the chemotherapy analogy. This is not a vaccination. So when you heard that, now that's a much longer podcast that's mm-hmm. very informative, but when you heard that, what, what came to mind? Well, uh, I think everything came together when I, I heard that. I did not know that this technology was, was actually, actually was birthed from uh, cancer treatments. Um, and uh, if you haven't heard our vaccine episodes, we can just give you, where we explain how this technology works, we can just give you a little bit of a summary. So the Moderna and the Pfizer are mRNA vaccines, and those are the two most um, prevalent, would you say, or the only two? Really They're the only two that are being used in the United States for emergency use in the United States. And so, listening to David, he explains it this a little bit differently than, uh, I mean, a little bit with a different perspective than we understood when we recorded our vaccine episode. But he still says it's, uh, so the vaccine is sending a strand of synthetic RNA to the human being. We said that last time. And it's invoking within the human being the creation of the S1 spike protein, which is a pathogen. Yeah, and and that is... call it a pathogen. And and I think that that's what we maybe didn't... uh, I think we talked about that a little bit, but... Well, but I mean, it's it's very important to call out that, mm-hmm. that again, you're not... Cre- it's a toxin. It okay? is a toxin, yeah. If we're talking about, you know, again, terrain versus germ theory, germ theory would say it's a pathogen. Uh, terrain theory would, would say this is a toxin. So it's a toxin inside of the human being. So it's not only keeping you from getting... Uh, this is not only not keeping you from getting sick. It's making your body produce the thing... That makes you sick, which is the spike protein, this toxin. So most people assume, assume what about a vaccine? That they're getting a dead version of yes. an actual pathogen. Mm-hmm. But Attenuated version or a dead version that once it gets injected, injected is going to trigger your immunity and then is going to cause you to be immune, which it's still not the case. <laughs> Uh, but we we talked about that on the on our vaccine episode. But so it doesn't trigger immunity. Okay, this mRNA uh, gene therapy. I guess I'm gonna stop calling it a vaccine. It does not trigger immunity, but it triggers the body to make uh, triggers your body to make this toxin. And and so that's, that's what, what it's doing. And, and a lot of people are reacting very badly to that. They're mm-hmm. they're getting essentially what feels. Like COVID nineteen, yes, uh, and uh, other symptoms that we have discussed in our previous two to three episodes, right? The side effects, which which death can be a symptom yes. as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, so we wanted to just bring the different perspective on the vaccine, and I don't know if you wanted to go ahead and do. I always like to segue. Okay, a lot of people think the vaccine is. Uh, it there's no other alternative and we are here to remind everyone that there are alternatives in fact we were just um reading an article 
called 440,000 Americans Are Dead. Facebook and American Journal of Medicine admit their stand on HCQ. Hydroxychloroquine. Mm Mm-hmm was wrong. And last episode, we talked about a couple of the studies that were published uh, saying uh, hydroxychloroquine was not effective, and both of those were retracted. And so we want to play Simone Gold again, Dr. Simone Gold from the American Front Doctors. Frontline Frontline Doctors. Frontlinedoctors.com. And she uh, just literally, I think it was last week, she had posted that, uh, you know, Facebook just announced Mm -hmm. it, in quotes, made a mistake when it censored studies showing HCQ saves lives. Censorship is never a mistake. Tech executives repeatedly made a calculated decision month after month, silencing physicians worldwide. Censorship kills. So now let's actually uh, listen to her explain her experience working in a hospital in an ER when she prescribed HCQ to a patient of hers. You will be suspicious of everything that follows. So that's where I found myself. There I was in the emergency department, treating patients as they came in with COVID-19. And once we had the rapid test so I can confirm the diagnosis, my first patient who I needed to give hydroxychloroquine and zinc to, I did it. And, and even knowing the kind of the controversy, I really didn't think twice about it. It, it. I don't know. It was fine. I gave it to her. I actually called her the next day. She was so much better. She herself got better within about 12 hours and about 48 hours, she was essentially completely well. This completely matched what I had read in the scientific literature. I knew many doctors who had done this. I'd read many journal articles. And it, was com- it, was, it was completely consistent. What was really shocking and completely inconsistent was my medical director who calls me the next day and threatens to fire me for doing this, this treatment. It was, it was I, I can't even tell you to the, even as I describe this moment to you, it's shocking to me. I remember the case, the situation, the conversation, and he's saying he's going to fire me. And I said, why would you fire me over this? Well, I don't think it works. I said, well, then don't prescribe it. <laughs> you know, you haven't read the science the way I have. I know it works. You'll change your mind in a couple of months when, you know, you get a little wiser. But why would you get involved with, with you know, me treating a patient? You do your thing. I do my thing. That's how medicine is practiced. We are licensed as individuals. It's actually against the law to have what's called a corporate practice of medicine where you know corporation practices for you. It has to be the individual doctor's physician. That's why patients go to multiple doctors, right? You know. And and really the almost the worst part of the conversation was not even that he was ignorant that the drug worked, but his reasons for saying that he was going to fire me if I did this. And the reason, which he put in writing because he wasn't so smart, <laughs> he said it was because the, the, the biggest payer at that hospital, which is a large insurance company that everyone here has heard of, that's back on the West Coast mainly, didn't want us to prescribe it. They were blocking it. So that payer insurance company was pressuring the hospital that their doctor shouldn't do it. So... You know, to me, when I saw that and why I wanted to make sure we included that in here, and again, you'll have a link to the, mm-hmm. the, the larger yes. episode, what was uh, really she points back to the insurance company situation and the control the insurance companies have. But you also have to ask yourself, what's going on exactly? You know, because she, she makes the point of saying that why are you getting in between the treatment between me and my patient? 
I, I am a licensed doctor. I'm the one that went to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I look at research because, you know, this is an off-label use for this particular uh, medicine because it, is, uh, it was invented for the treatment of malaria. Okay. Now, once there is a certain safety record, the way I understand it, there's a certain safety record with a medication, doctors can start to prescribe it for off-label use if they think that it would have uh, efficacy. So, uh, and, you know, the safety record's good. There's really not any huge risk, right? And they can kind of uh, uh, mitigate that with what they know about the patient. So, she's she's making that point and saying, why are you getting in the middle? I don't understand because if the hospital can just dictate these things, then why do you need the doctors? Yes. You don't need the doctors mm-hmm. because it's just going to be an, uh, a nurse or something that's going to look at a at a uh, policy statement and say, well, we don't prescribe this, we don't prescribe this, we don't prescribe this, this is what we do. We, we intubate or, or, or put you on a vent or we give you remdesivir or whatever, yes. and that's all we do. So Remdesivir, very expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> but... but, but uh, uh, Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the article that we're talking about, the 440,000 Americans are dead, Facebook and American Journal of Medicine admit that their their stand on HCQ was wrong, cites a, a study. And I found this really wonderful website that we're going to share to the uh, c19study.com. This website compiled... All the the major studies on hydroxychloroquine, on vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, ivermectin. I mean, you name it, all the alternative treatments. I mean, there was so much that I was so blown away. For HCQ alone, they had 196 trials, 3,095 scientists, 167,250 patients. On these studies, and uh, uh, twenty-five, uh, they well, anyways, the this website lists all these studies. We're gonna put it on the link. You guys can read it. But there was there was studies with sixty-seven percent improvement, seventy-six percent improvement, forty-nine percent, thirty-six percent. I mean, just amazing. Just blew me away. So I'm gonna share that with you guys. Yeah, and, and, and so you can see that there are alternatives. The vaccine is not even close to being the solution to this. Well, and, and so the gene therapy. She she brings up the the insurance companies there at the end, and and we are marketed right now that the vaccine is the only way out of this, and to and and really is hydroxychloroquine really in the news at all anymore no i mean it was like it was beaten over the head with a blunt object for political reasons and it is not even really being discussed anymore in fact i was just telling you i saw a a tweet or a instagram post where i think it was the governor of uh oklahoma was trying to ship a two million dollar supply of it or he wanted to get a refund from the manufacturer because he doesn't want the doctors in the state of oklahoma uh, prescribing it, even though this data from the cumulative accumulation of these uh, uh, studies show, I don't know what it was, somewhere around 70 to 80 percent effectiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's crazy that it's not even in the conversation and, yeah. and a doctor in a state couldn't even uh, prescribe it if they wanted because they might have uh, some type of action against them. I, you know, and this is all because 
you know, if, if we all remember, this was a political hot potato because the president came out. Mm-hmm. President Trump came out saying that he was for this treatment. Same thing with the president here in Brazil. Bolsonaro said that bought a bunch of hydroxychloroquine and still the media is making fun of him and criticizing him for that. So, I mean, it, it's just nuts that you can have the actual scientific data and it doesn't matter because it's getting associated with something that the media want to give a bad name, which, you know, you don't have to be a a Democrat or a Republican to know that the media were not fans of Donald (laughs) Trump. Okay, so so uh, uh, they made a mockery of HCQ because of that. And 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 who is to say that their stance didn't cause a lot of well, people did that. Well, and, and that, that was another point I was trying to get to is a little bit more morbid. But I mean, you have insurance companies who are saying, look, we're not going to pay, which is meaning doctors don't prescribe, which mm-hmm. uh, a lot of deaths occurred because there were no viable treatments, mm-hmm. uh, certainly early on. Obviously, more stuff has been developed uh, uh, later except, here. Except for, you know, ventilators, which kill yeah, yeah. Nine but, out of ten people. But you know, you you <laughs> have they say those are COVID deaths. You you had a safe treatment that was literally shelved for political purposes. And I, I just don't really see I would love somebody to make the the uh um I mean a sixty five year old medicine that they give out at airports in African countries, yes. like like <laughs> Tic Tacs, carry it in your pocket. You know, with really little to no instruction. Just if you're going to be out where mosquitoes might be or whatever, mm-hmm. then just then, take it. Then just take it, and 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 you can't give that uh, and feel that there is a safety around it with with COVID nineteen. It's just nuts, and so you know that really kind of led us to to look culturally, right? Because this whole political thing, it, it is a cultural uh, uh, discussion, right? Because the culture uh, wants certain things of its leaders, not that those leaders are, are, are particularly fantastic. You know, again, we've mentioned we've had our troubles with Donald Trump. We certainly have our troubles with Joe Biden, you know. So, so I mean, we certainly don't have the greatest leaders uh, on the planet for many reasons, but, but the culture is really pushing people and in, in using marketing and the pull of corporations within the mechanisms within hospitals and whatnot that are, yeah. are, are really driving this. And so, you know, we played a Terrence McKenna clip a couple episodes ago, and there was another one that we think is uh, uh, very apropos. Was there anything else about this that you wanted to touch on before I played that? No, I think that the this this website is going to speak for for itself when people take a look at it. And again, we will link to that. Yeah. So, so here, let, let's listen to Terrence here. Um, it's a little bit more esoteric of a clip, and, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of explain it after the fact, but uh, I think you'll find it interesting. What civilization is, is six billion people trying to make themselves happy by standing on each other's shoulders and kicking each other's teeth in. It's not a pleasant situation. And yet, you can stand back and look at this planet and see that we have the money, the power, the medical understanding, the scientific know-how, the love, and the community to produce the kind of human paradise, but we are led by the least among us, 
the least intelligent, the least noble, the least visionary. We are led by the least among us. And we do not fight back against the dehumanizing values that are handed down as control icons. Uh, this is something, I mean, I don't really want to give off on this tear because it's a lecture in itself, but culture is not your friend. Culture is for other people's convenience and the convenience of various institutions, churches, companies, tax collection schemes, what have you. It is not your friend. It, it insults you. It disempowers you. It uses and abuses you. None of us are well treated by culture. Uh, and yet we glorify you know, the creative potential of the individual, the rights of the individual. We understand the felt presence of experience is what is most important. But the culture is a perversion. It fetishizes objects, creates consumer mania, it preaches endless forms of false happiness, endless forms of false understanding in the form of swirly religions and silly cults. It, it invites people to diminish themselves and dehumanize themselves by behaving like machines. So, sorry for the ominous background music. <laughs> Again, I did not produce that clip. I thought it was cool. Yeah, but, um, you know, what I really key in on that is, um, you know, the cultural engineers, which, you know, if we look at, in the conversation around COVID, you know, you've got people like Tony Fauci, you've got, um, uh, now you've got Joe Biden and, uh, Kamala Harris into the mix, Donald Trump, um, Bill, Bill, Bill Gates, Bill Gates. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't forget Bill. about Bill. I'm just start calling him Bill. Yeah, Bill. But, um, they are really, I mean, I think cultural engineer is a, is a fantastic term because there are all these mechanisms that are kind of pushing us to conclusions. And if we're not willing to seek out the other voices, then we're only getting bombarded with the same messaging, which, you know, uh, Terrence mentioned something called consumer mania. And it really didn't dawn on me until we listened to this clip that we're going to play from James Corbett uh, around how this vaccine is kind of being rolled out as really the only solution and how um, they... How it's been marketed. It's, yeah, it's marketed and it is uh, presented like there is such limited supply that it's like an iPhone that people are trying to get on a Black Friday sale mm -hmm. or something. And so uh, you have very limited number of places where you can get the vaccine. Uh, it has, they have limited doses. They're going to roll it out to specific groups of people. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, they just don't have enough. They just don't have enough. And, and so there is this... Well, uh, that's what they're saying. Well, and then in Brazil, you know, they're they're praying they're to the vaccine praying. gods Please, here. They are demonizing the president of Brazil, which I'm not a huge fan of him. But they're demonizing this man because they say that he's not getting the vaccine. No country wants to give Brazil the vaccine. And then we've ran across this video. And just to preface, you guys, just to listen and notice the plan, the scheme, the marketing, 
how subtle it is and how diabolic it is. I mean, it just gives me chills. So you, you want to say who James Corbett is? Yes. So James Corbett from the Corbett Report, um, he's a, a, an award-winning invest, investigative. Investigative, yeah. Investigative journalist. Uh, he has lectured on geo, geopolitics at the University of Groningen's. Is that how you say that? That's good enough for me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Studium Generale and deli- uh, deliver presentations on open source journalism at the French Institute of Research in Computer Science and Automations. Um, and he's also done uh, TED Talks. Yeah, he's actually, he's, I've known him for years. Yeah, um, he's been doing this type of work for, I think it said 15 years. 15 to 20, maybe. Yeah. All right, well, let's listen to this short clip here. It's an interesting question, though. Would you uh, be against mandating? Well, I, uh, I think this is very interesting because, I mean, for, for especially for the healthcare worker example, I mean, there, there are many, many good reasons why healthcare workers should be considered immunization for their own safety, but also for, to protect and, and first do no harm to the patients that they are treating. Um, having said that, does it work to mandate? I think what would work better would be to, to if they to say that there was a shortage and people tend to line up more for, for something that <laughs> demand. <laughs> a city of a million people and there's only four clinics. Um, I'd like to know what Brainiac decided on that. <laughs> it's such a simple trick, but it is exceptionally effective time after time after time. And if you do not know about this trick and are not on guard for it, it can be used against you. So the trick he's talking about is uh, supply. How do you overcome? Hesitancy, hesitancy <laughs> for something you're going to inject in your body even. I mean, it's, the trick is done. I, I just never, never even thought of that. Like, it just blew my mind. Yeah, supply, you know, j- just uh, create an implied shortage, which creates a demand, and people get wrapped up in the drama of finding this elusive thing and then they don't even know what it does don't even know what it does i mean they think they know and he goes a lot more into it we didn't want to play too long a clip um he's got actually a few different episodes i think where he he talks about the the trick of how they 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 create that demand but i thought it was a good jump from what terrence was talking about the perversion in our society, which again, I believe is an engineered perversion yes. um, to really provide uh, uh, certain people the the uh, the ends that they want, which in this case is uh, most of the public uh, going after this vaccine. So I mean, you really have to ask yourself about that. you know that one lady in the clip says, you know four uh, clinic locations for a million person city. <laughs> She goes, what, what the hell? I mean, who had the idea to do that? I mean, this is ridiculous. It sounds you know? chaotic, yeah. right? But by design. By design, yeah, by design. So you have to pay attention to that. Yes. We are paying attention. We are wide awake. But let's switch topics a little bit because we talked about the alternative treatments again. So when we talk about the vaccine, we always talk, we like to talk about the alternatives. And a few episodes ago, we actually had a clip 
of a man. We were not sure who he was, but he was talking about terrain theory. Um, and we finally discovered who he is just accidentally. That was just last night, in fact. Yes, it was just last night. I was uh, watching uh, an episode with George Norrie. I don't know if you guys know George Norrie from Coast to Coast. Uh, I just uh, I used to work uh, night shifts, and I would drive home, and he would be on the radio, and there were some old shows of his that were I think the show is like super old. Oh, it is. It's been around forever. Yeah. The 80s. And so, so George, he was interviewing this guy, uh, Ben Fuchs, and he is a natural pharmacist. I mean, he used to be a traditional pharmacist, but he started catching up to the fact that um, drugs are not there to heal people. They're just there to treat symptoms, but they never address uh, root cause. So he decided to switch his practice. Um, so that's why he's a natural pharmacist now. Uh, he's still a registered pharmacist, but he's also a nutritionist. And uh, he does other things like uh, journalism, um, and anyways, I just thought that this other clip we want to play for you guys is more clear. And he explains it so well. He goes back in history. So let's play that clip for sure. everyone to hear. There's this great battle. In, there was this great battle. As it turns out, one side won. And it was the battle between the prevention or what we call the terrain, which is the environment of the body, mm -hmm. and the germ. And this was a battle that was fought in the late, uh, late 19th century between a guy named Pasteur and a guy named Bouchamp. And Pasteur said, it's attack. Your body's being attacked. All the bad things are the result of attack. And we need to come up with ways of preventing the attack. That's called germ theory, by the way. And Bouchamp said, no, it's not the attack. It's the way the, it's the environment that the attack is coming into, or the so-called attack is coming into. It's the environment. Well, it turns out that we could use drugs for one and not drugs for the other. So the one side won, the germ theory, the so-called germ theory won. Preventative medicine. That is rightfully so? No, not no. rightfully so. Okay. No, absolutely, to our great detriment, because the terrain is about prevention. The, what you just said is a prevention means you take care of the environment. You, su you support- Fix the car before it breaks down. Rather than take <clears throat> bubble gum and try to wire it together. But the problem with the drug model is it doesn't even use, this is so important, it, it, it doesn't even use bubble gum. It uses suppression of chemistry to achieve its effects. It suppresses your biochemistry. Your body is a finely tuned machine that you can't even, our brain can't even wrap itself around the complexity and the, the intricate networked nature of all the, all the biochemical systems and pathways and all the things that are happening. You can't just suppress, shut down one side of it, just knock it out. Right. A beta blocker drug, you've heard of beta blocker yeah. drugs. They shut your heart down. A calcium channel blocker shuts your blood vessels and your heart down. Immune suppressant drugs shut down your immune system. Every drug you can think of says it's called an anti or an inhibitor. Do they work or, for anything? Or a block symptoms. But our symptoms are our body's cry for help. If your baby was crying, would you take scissors and cut his tongue out? Say, oh, well, shut, yeah, of course that, not. shut that baby up. That's how I shut my Some baby up. Some sicko might. But they take your gallbladder out. When your gallbladder cries to yeah. you, they take scissors and they cut your gallbladder out. Absolutely. You know, because your gallbladder your is crying appendix. to you. Or your appendix or something like that. The model. So, whoa, yeah, <laughs> boom, because <laughs> okay. we've been talking about it a ton about uh terrain theory, and 
Um, I just felt like his explanation was so simple. We talked about Buster in other episodes, too, and how in, he had his deathbed confession, confession saying, the germ is nothing, the terrain is everything. Yeah. Uh, Which we have a clip of him saying that. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we did. <laughs> so with that, uh, terrain theory again, and I was talking earlier about the mask in the study from New York University, you know, our microbiome, the diversity, the balance is really, really important to prevent disease. So why are we talking about ways to strengthen our immunity? Why the media does not talk about a better health, better diet, better sleep? Why don't they talk about that, Leo? Well, and it's one thing to not talk about it initially, okay? We're almost a year now, a year and they still are not. Still, the only thing that's up on uh, posters all around the city is wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask. Though that's the only thing that is plastered up. It's not get more sleep. It's not uh, supplement vitamin D and C and A or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's not uh, uh, stop eating uh, sugar. You know, I mean, I mean, as as processed sugar and all that. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's none of that. It yeah, is. Let's let's uh, leave McDonald's open, but that, because they're essential. But let's yes. shut down the beach. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where you can produce vitamin D and everything. You know, there was a funny, uh, um, really funny to me. I thought it was very telling. Obviously, you won't be able to see a. Um, uh, uh, an image here, but I do want to uh, uh, paint the picture. And essentially what it is, <clears throat> the gentleman said in the picture, he says, a picture, as they say, paints a thousand words. I present the new world order in a single image. And it is a kind of a hippie guy with a man bun sitting in a meditation pose with no mask on, <laughs> on a beach, uh-huh. Where there is no one else around, and he has about six beach police officers that are questioning him. Oh my god! And and when I first saw this, without even reading the clip, I mean, what I thought of obviously it's much less dramatic, but it's almost as we need as to share weird. that so people can see it. Well, I th- I thought of the monk who'd lit himself on fire. Know, you know, that's that, what I thought of it too. And, and again, it's, it's, it's different. It's certainly not as violent. Right. Yeah. But, but I mean, I thought of that same image because it called me out and says like these, these police officers can't even see that this one guy out on the beach with nobody else around with no mask on, he's not trying to uh, get close to anyone. You know, uh, they could just leave him alone. They could just leave him alone. No, and it's not just one that comes up to him. I mean, literally, there are like six mm-hmm. in this image. With it's like machine guns. no, no. I don't have any guns. I don't. They're beach I police. I saw guns. Well, there. okay, they might have some on there, but but yeah. I mean, there are one, two, three. There are six, six beach police. I mean, this is where we live now, and it's just nuts that these people who are, you know, policing this or guarding that that they mm-hmm. are. They are even carrying this out. And when you question them, the people that are pushing the the rules, what do you hear from them? I'm just doing my job. The, yeah, <laughs> these are the rules. Like, we don't know where these rules, rules came from, mm-hmm. but I'm just pushing the agenda and pushing the rules. Well, you, you know, and on that note, 
you know, we called for those tests today and we talked to, um, mm-hmm. we talked to a couple of those facilities, maybe two or three. And, and, mm-hmm. and you had that one experience, you're asking the lady, okay, so which test is being used, uh, for the PCR? Um, she said, we could, can't share that with you. Uh, and, and also yes, we would only share with the doctor. So, so they're doing it to my body. And I can't know and which. it's going to decide if I can go back to where I live or not. It, well, and then, and then you ask, well, can you at least tell me the cycle count on she the didn't test? She didn't even know what cycle count was. Now, we'll say, okay, maybe she's not a nurse. She might just be a receptionist. only the biologist and the lab will decide. But, but we talk about, we yes. talk about giving the power away. Yes, yes. And, so, I mean, here... You're trying to determine what's best for like your three children in a case, in our mm-hmm. case, and uh, the people that you're that are going to be performing these these uh, procedures on you. I mean, you can't even get information from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is nuts. I mean, they are changing the fabric of society, and they don't even the people. That's all this this place does is testing right isn't mm-hmm. it i think so yeah, and and you would think everybody would know the ins and outs okay of of, of how this works and, and well nobody's ever asked so i mean obviously it's alarming nobody wants to know <laughs> <laughs> i'm like there's a high rate of false positives the the higher the cycle count she's like what are you talking the about? who the who came like, out the test just says it's positive or it's negative it's all it does i'm like uh-huh. I know that, honey. <laughs> she didn't get it at all. Everyone, oh, what did the my who say? God. Well, the, well, we talked about last episode. The, oh, who yeah, the who said that the PCR test is way out of whack with the cycle counts that are being used. So, mm-hmm. you know, you would think, okay, the testing facilities would know, hey, we need to change what we're doing because mm-hmm. the, the cycle count, the who, the World Health Organization is saying that the, the tests are, are, are BS. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and then the CDC comes out and says, well, so now to travel and come back into this country, you got to have the test. You just want to pull your hair out. Yes. But, uh, you know, I want to play that clip about giving your power away. Ben, he talks a little bit more with George Nori, and he talks a little bit about why people give their power away. So let's play that. Some doctors, Ben, if they prescribe medication, get ticked off when we question <laughs> why they prescribed it to us. What and medical what school it's did for. you go to, Mr. Nori? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's who's the doctor here? Yeah. Why did they get so upset? Because this is their are turf. Are they offended? It's their turf. Who are you? Who are you to question? You know, it's my body. Hello, exactly. You know, that's why we have a situation where uh, the operation was a success but we lost the patient. Yeah. And that's the kind of model we have. Well, who's right, them or me? It's your body, correct? But yeah. You see, George, this is endemic of a bigger problem. We have abdicated responsibility to authority. We have somehow given up our personal sovereignty to authority because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we're capable enough. And it's one thing about your car, okay? I don't know how to fix my car. It's one thing about your computer. I don't know how to fix my computer. What is more intimate to us than our bodies? What what should we know more about than this thing, this head to toe thing we have? I talk. You know, I listen to that, and 
I really come back to, you know, we had the experience with our second born where he had to have surgery for mm-hmm. Hirschsprung's disease. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you really made a point because you didn't want him to have anything put into him that he didn't absolutely have to have to have the procedure completed. Mm-hmm. You know, they removed, I think it was over a foot of his large intestine when he was, what was he, 13? Was he not? 13 no, months. No, actually, wasn't it only like eight or nine months? Well, that was when we did the first. Oh, yeah, because it was it was a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but I, I thought about, you know, you actually did the research on the um, uh, anesthesia mm-hmm. and everything, and uh, you found which was the least toxic to children. Mm-hmm. And, and then we met with the surgeon team, surgical team. The anesthesiologist. Yeah, the anesthesiologist, and we said, hey— you know, which one are you going to use? And he mentioned something. We said, okay, well, you know, we understand that that's a lot more toxic to children. Uh, is there a reason we, we can't use whatever the uh, the alternative was? And, he, and, and basically what he said was... Uh, it blew me away. I mean, what you probably... Said, were, yeah, what did he say? Well, I was first shaking to my core because here I am, this mother, right? Don't have a medical degree, nothing. I spent like the whole week just researching all the things I could think about, you know, that could be harmful or could be, you know, what are the what are the things that they may, they might use? What are the drugs they might use? And so I go up there and I am nervous because I'm about to hand my child to these doctors and I'm not going to see them for hours. Because you're going to operate on him. And here I am asking this anesthesiologist all these questions. And to my surprise, he was so open to it. He was open and so was the surgeon open to it too. Like open to me at that point. And I think at one point the anesthesiologist even said, wow, you really know your stuff. You really well, and, and your I think what caught me by surprise was he said... Yeah, we could do that other one if you want to go with that. Because or we of, can do without this drug or that drug, he said. Well, that. no, but I mean specifically with the anesthesia. He's like, yeah, we could go with that other. Uh, uh, well, they wanted to give him, you know, one thing to sedate him so they could do the IV. And then they wanted to give him propofol. I think we already talked about that, though, in this uh, one episode. But anyways, they wanted to give him pumping with all these drugs. And we knew that. When you operate on children that are really young, already had a history of uh, uh, vaccine injury and, you know, uh, drug sensitivity, we didn't want to have another child with those challenges. We understood he needed the surgery, so we were at the mercy of um, medicine at that point. But we wanted to do our best to just minimize, you know, the effects of all these treatments he, he was going to go under and and they were just so well but but i think what i was getting at was that you know you had the the research that showed that the anesthesia compound that we wanted to use was mm-hmm. less toxic to children yes. and he didn't even it, he was using propofol or whatever it was mm-hmm. because that's what they use yeah, that's the routine. That's the protocol. It's the protocol. It's the routine. It's it's maybe they they, they have an agreement with the company that makes propofol. Propofol is <laughs> our go-to. They're yeah. our they're our sponsor for anesthesia. <laughs> but all we had to do was say, hey, you know, the research seems to suggest that this other, well, this stuff worked just as good and it's less toxic. Oh, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, we can do that if you want. <laughs> but I mean, so 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 when you think that they're looking at all this stuff related specifically to your child or yourself, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. if it's the right doctor, they might be doing that. But in this case, that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean the guy was a bad guy, but it wasn't in his routine to do that. And he didn't. So we actually asked, and we we don't know whether propofol would have uh, caused more damage to him. But well, actually, there were studies. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm saying we because we didn't do because we didn't do propofol. (laughs) We didn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is, is that it, it could have been that way. And we could have had an injury. And I could have stayed quiet. I could have said nothing and just given given all my power away. But with the experience with our first child and the injury that he suffered, I totally gave my power away there. I didn't question the doctor. You let fear because remember you were you were going to here to Brazil and you were like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go to Brazil, a third world country, and not have uh, my MMR shot. Yeah. You know, so. So anyways, we learn to be courageous sometimes the hard way. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, do you have anything else in your notes? Well, I just had a, a text from uh, Terrence McKenna. Again, I don't know if you want to put that in. Well, I, I mean, we could so. save that for another episode yeah. because I think uh, we will. You know, Terrence might become a theme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he is a uh, genius. We really enjoy everything. He th- there aren't that many uh, clips from him because uh, you know he he passed away before um, YouTube and all that was really big. So some people have 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 saved some of that stuff from lectures. So we try to throw that in where it's applicable. But I actually have something. Um, okay. I, I I was going to uh, bring this up. It was in the news, and it, it has to do around Wall Street. And um, I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, we're talking here about how uh, a group of people within society may be engineering, you know, our culture to push us down a certain path. And in this case, I mean, we could talk about motives and stuff, but, I mean, I do think that that those uh, cultural engineers, those elites, if you will, they do want a specific outcome of how we are managed as people and then how that generates revenue, you know, from a uh, economic standpoint to corporations and things of that nature. I mean, it's a big equation and it's a big lie. Okay. And a lot of people can't wrap their, their arms around the big lie. Okay. Mm -hmm. They just don't think it's, it's something that they can fathom. And, um, you know, what we're seeing just this past week, week and a half around wall street, we are actually seeing where, you have individual small-time investors. You know, we're talking about people like you and me uh, who are using these apps like Robinhood uh, and saying, hey, we want to buy a stock. So we're investing our money, and then we're choosing to do with that stock what we want. And you then have another group, which are these large hedge funds that were shorting a specific stock. And without having to get into how the shorting works, it's basically betting on the lower you know, like the, the, the price of the stock will sink, not that it's going to grow. So these large hedge funds actually have been manipulating markets for years for their own benefit. And uh, uh, in a lot of cases, you know, using their friends within uh, um, publications like the Wall Street Journal and uh, uh, television stations like um, 
CNBC or Fox Business, uh, using those uh, talking heads on those shows to either talk up or talk down stocks, right, that they're trying to invest in or short in order to make money, you know, use that that um, uh, bully pulpit that they have in order to create an air of either uh, non-confidence in a stock or confidence in a stock to move it in order for them to either pump and dump or, 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 or get the short. Well, so what happened here, if you haven't been tracking with this uh, company GameStop, and I think it's also happening with AMC Theaters, is that you know the hedge funds were shorting GameStop and they were shorting it to massive effect. I mean, now, GameStop, you might even say, okay, yes, shorting it might have been a a logical move, but from the way I understand it, they were majorly shorting it, well under what it deserved to be shorted. And when they do that across a lot of hedge funds in force, it has a lot of power to really drive the stock price down. In fact, it can even drive the stock price to zero, okay, and really create problems. Some companies can go out of business from that activity. And the people who really get screwed in that situation are the, the small-time investors, because they're kind of at the whim of the large volume that's happening through these, these uh, hedge funds and whatnot. So what has occurred here was that somehow a Reddit board, if you're unfamiliar with Reddit, it's essentially a message board that has hundreds of thousands of users that are people like you and me, might not have a ton of money, but they do investing, you know, uh, they do buy stocks and whatnot invest. They somehow got wind of this short and they decided to buy the stock, which drove the value of the price up. And because the, the value went up so high, I mean, literally it rose like, I don't know what it was, thousands of percent uh, in a day. Uh, the, the hedge funds who shorted it, they, they, they can't, uh, they actually have to pay the, I'm, it's not the difference. I'm not exactly sure how it, uh, it works. I'm not a Wall Street person, but uh, they, have to cover something if their guess on where the stock price is going doesn't go there. (laughs) And because they're betting on it going down, when it goes up, that's a problem. And then they have to cover where they get the bet wrong. And uh, that was to the tune across several stocks uh, within, uh, actually, within the the little time that's happened in in, um, uh, 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 2021 to the tune of about $70 billion. I think on this GameStop stop alone, it was like $21 billion. And and to think that money actually transferred over to the little guy. It was the it was the little guys who bought the stock that then became a lot of them became millionaires and whatnot overnight. And uh the uh Wall Street is up in arms about it because the elites got screwed. And a lot of them lost money. A lot of those hedge funds actually even went out of business or lost over half of their net worth over this one stock. And they're now talking about putting regulation in to curb this investing by the little guys like you and me. So we're not actually saying that uh, the stock deserved to skyrocket. Okay, the, these the power of these individual users, they got together on this message board. And because there were hundreds of thousands of them buying the stock, it was as powerful as these group of hedge funds, you know, moving the money around. And so the point is, is that 
that activity is accepted in Wall Street, and it they look they take a blind eye to it, and they don't want to call it out. They don't want regulation, and they steal money when they short stocks like that out of you and my and, and my wallet, who also invest in those stocks. And so when it the shoe is on the other foot, now it's a problem, and now they're trying to put regulations. And in fact, those trading apps like Robinhood. Who I mean, isn't it funny? Their name is Robin Hood. <laughs> I know. Steal from the rich, give yeah. to the poor, and 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 that's how they market themselves. <laughs> and they actually have stopped people from buying the stock. Now they allow you to sell it because when you sell it, you're going to take a, a hit and it's going to drive the the price down, which actually helps those hedge funds because the closer the price goes down to where they bet it was going to go, it's less of a, a risk for them and they don't, they have to expense less money. So Robinhood is actually uh, cutting the feet off of those investors like you and me and not letting them buy the stock uh, because they are being a favor pulled in for these, these large yeah. elite hedge funds. So I mean... You have to see that the system is rigged. It's rigged in the financial system, and I think we're only seeing the beginning stages of this. Uh, and then what we have been talking about with COVID here is that this thing is rigged. It's rigged by these cultural engineers, which a lot of them are the same people who own these hedge funds mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they want to corral us in a specific way. They want to roll out technologies that can manage us and, and that create uh, sectors of business that never existed before that they can cash in on. They want to do all of this. And you got to open your eyes. And so I want to I want to end with a clip that is uh, Dr. Tom Cowan. He was on the brand new Health Freedom for Humanity podcast. Uh, it was their inaugural episode. I think they're about four episodes in. And uh, he is not really talking about COVID at all, but he's talking about a quote. Okay, now he's, he's actually talking to the host and he's saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a quote at my own peril. <laughs> and and uh, uh, then you guys maybe try to guess who said it. Okay, and it's all about the big lie. So let's uh, let's take a listen here. And you know, I, I'm going to do this at my at my peril, but I want to read a quote <laughs> that, uh, that may explain some of this. If, if you bear with me, is that okay? Of course. And then you can, you can all guess who might have said this quote. Oh, this is great. Okay. It's very interesting, and it's a little long, so bear with me, but it's kind of interesting. Quote, in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And this, in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victim to the big lie rather than the small lie, since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters, but would be ashamed to resort to large-scale falsehoods. It would never come into their heads to fabricate colossal untruths, and they would not believe that others would have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. Even though the facts which prove this to be so may be brought clearly to their minds, they will still doubt and waver and will continue to think there must be some other explanation. For the grossly impudent lie always leaves traces behind it 
even after it has been nailed down. A fact which is known to all expert liars in this world and all those who conspire together in the art of lying. In other words, everybody tells little lies, so we think, yeah, you might tell a little lie. But everybody would be ashamed to say such a whopper, and so you cannot believe that anybody would say that. You know who said that? Orwell or Seuss? Nope. Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> someone from uh, the Nazi party. Yeah, wow. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Whoa. So now he's not uh, giving Adolf Hitler kudos, but Adolf Hitler uh, obviously was very effective at controlling masses of people and their the way they think and, and what they do. And so we need to look at the mistakes of the past to be able to recognize what we're doing right now. And so I think that's an apropos quote to end on. Do you mm-hmm. agree, Fabby? I agree. All right. So here, let's um, let's get our, our phase-out music. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Collective Resistance Podcast. Fabby, what do you want to tell people to do? Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay curious. Stay curious.